Well, turn with me now in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. I'm going to read briefly from Luke chapter 12. This is going to provide us with a little bit of context for our sermon passage this morning. It's the first Lord's Day of the month, so we're going to look at our Psalm of the Month, which is Psalm 49. But to understand Psalm 49 a little better, we're going to read from Luke chapter 12. Out of curiosity, how many of you remember my sermon on Luke chapter 12 three and a half years ago? Right. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 22. Don't worry, me neither. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take heed. Be aware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Amen. Jesus is confronted with an interpersonal problem. There's this family squabble. It's one that's familiar. We've heard a lot about it. Brothers are fighting over the inheritance. And Jesus' answer is an interesting one. Who made me judge or arbiter over you? He basically says, that's not my business, I don't care. And then he tells them this little parable, this story. Meant to cut to the heart of the issue. He says, you see, the problem isn't that you and your brother can't settle the inheritance. The problem is you cannot settle your hearts. You are both consumed with covetousness, says Christ. And he points to this rich man who struck it big. A rich man who has made off well. And he takes all of his riches and he keeps it up together into the grand estate of this earth. And says, now... I can take it easy. Everything's good to go. Little does he know that he will die tragically that night and enjoy none of it. In this way, Jesus contrasts the value of an earthly estate and an eternal estate. And we are confronted this morning with this question, my friends. 
Will you follow the road of building all this earthly ambition? Or will you seek something more wise, more lasting? A heavenly home. With this in mind, turn back to Psalm 49. Our Psalm of the Month is Psalm 49. When you go, back in the days before COVID, to uh, Psalm Sings, how many of you can remember picking Psalm 49? It's not on the top of the list, is it? Right up there with 23 and 172. And yet, Psalm 49 is this treasure, this gem of wisdom for us this morning. Psalm 49, our Psalm of the Month. Here again, the word of the Lord. To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark sayings on the heart. Why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever. That he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. For he sees wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the senseless person perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever, their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beast that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish, and of their posterity who approve their sayings. Selah. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave, far from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased, For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lives, he blesses himself. For men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see the light. A man who is in honor, yet does not understand, is like the beasts that perish. Amen and amen. A little bit of wisdom can go a long way in life. For instance, I remember learning or trying to learn how to milk cows. How many of you can relate? 
And there is something funny about cows. They can discover in a moment the novice who's in the room. When my father went along, they stood perfectly still and he just threw those milking units on like nothing. Anytime I stepped up to the milking unit, they started dancing and swinging their legs and trying to kick me, and I won many a bruise up and down my arm, trying to milk a cow. Till finally the day that I was there getting kicked and buffeted around, when the old Dutch farmer from down the road came in. He watched me for a few minutes, and then he said, you know, they can't kick until they shift their weight. And I stood there blinking, thinking, what? And then suddenly it dawned on me like a lightning bolt. I could get out of the way of their hooves. They're big, heavy animals whose kicks are really obvious. You can see them coming. Just get out of the way. A little bit of wisdom went a long way. In a similar fashion, the sons of Korah address this psalm to us who are kicked about in this life. Feeling this morning acutely in our souls the bumps and bruises of a hard life. And they hand us a little bit of wisdom. Do you know? Have you understood? Have you heard? Jesus defeated death. And in those three little words, in that little nugget of truth, they hand us enough to go the distance in life. They give us enough wisdom to go the whole way into death itself and beyond. Dear friends, here is wisdom for us. Here is wisdom we need to learn. Jesus defeated death. And when we have learned this, we can live without fear. Friends, Jesus defeated death. Therefore, live without fear. Notice at the beginning of our psalm that the sons of Korah address this psalm to the chief musician. This means they intend for the psalm to be sung. This is not merely a record of an ancient poem. It is actually a living song that they want us to sing. And we'll get to do that. Yeah, somebody fixed the board. Thank you. I didn't do that. 49A and B. We'll get to sing that in a little bit. They mean for us to sing it. And we know that they mean for us, specifically, the people of Cambridge, to sing it. Because in verse 1 it says, Hear this, all peoples, all inhabitants of the world. Not only do the sons of Korah direct this psalm to the chief musician so that the Levitical choir in the temple could sing it, they direct it to all peoples everywhere. All inhabitants of earth. This is a universal psalm with global significance. It belongs to everyone. Both low and high, rich and poor. Regardless of your station in life, your rank, your significance, this is a psalm for you. In verses 3 and 4, the sons of Korah give us the thrust of the psalm. It is wisdom. The psalm is meant to make us wise. It is a meditation of their hearts intended to give us an understanding of our world. And so in verse 4, they say that they have inclined their ear to a proverb. They have meditated within their heart about the nature of the world. And they have listened carefully to the proverbs of old. And so now in this song, they will disclose the dark sayings on the heart. That is to say, they will put into music 
the wisdom that they have learned through deep thoughts and meditation. My friends, we need this psalm. I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a world of foolishness. We live in a world of nonsense. And sadly enough, we increasingly live in a world where it is not okay to call nonsense nonsense. It is not okay to call foolishness foolishness. We live in a world that prizes folly and despises wisdom. And the sons of Korah come to us and say, here's a little hint. Put it to music. I mean, everybody loved the forgotten founding father when they gave him a song and dance number on Broadway. Right? Alexander Hamilton. No, no one had heard of him. He disappeared into the pages of history until they gave him a song and a dance. My friends, they take wisdom, wisdom that they need, we need, and they put it to the heart. They put it into this psalm that we together might sing it, that we together might have it soak into our souls. We need a wisdom we can sing, and we need to teach the world to sing with us. It's a wisdom we need. But notice that this wisdom pertains specifically to fearlessness, to courage. In verses 5 and 6, the sons of Korah address us to the hope, that stronghold of hope, that we can have in days of evil. The sons of Korah announce in verse 5, why should I fear in the days of evil? This is akin to the Socratic method. They're approaching it as a rhetorical question. They don't actually mean for you, the audience, to answer They, as the authors of the psalm, intend to answer their own question. It's a rhetorical question. Why should I be afraid in the days of evil? In other words, they are announcing that they have discovered the secret to courage. They have discovered the secret to fearless living, even in the days of evil. Now these days of evil are not simply the generic sorrows and sufferings of this life. But in verse 5, it specifically says, The days of evil when iniquity at my heels surrounds me. In other words, when sin that has been chasing me catches me. Perhaps the sons of Korah here imagine the situation in which you and I have so often been. We're resisting temptation, we're fleeing from temptation. And then all of a sudden, sin pounces, and we find ourselves surrounded. And it is an evil day in which we have struggled to remain pure, struggled to remain righteous, and we have failed, and we have fallen. On the other hand, perhaps they imagine the iniquity of their enemies, and they say, the sins of my foes have chased me, hounded me. And at last found me. And I am now a victim of those who hate me. And their sins have surrounded me and come upon me in power. Perhaps thirdly, they imagine the iniquity of their friends. Because truly, any of you who have been married, who have had children, who have had parents, who have had roommates. Yes, any human being who has occupied the same domicile for any duration of time has found 
We have a tremendous capacity to surround one another in iniquity, don't we? We have the tremendous capacity to hound each other with sin. Whatever the case may be, the sons of Korah look upon that dark day and say, in those times of trouble, when my sins are too many for me, when my enemy's sins are too many for me, when my friends and family sins are too many for me, whatever the case may be, I am not afraid. I know the answer to my sin. I know the answer to the sins of my enemies, the sins of my friends. Do you, beloved? Do you know the fountain of fearless living? That says, no matter how high rises the tsunami, I have a rock that it cannot reach. His name is Jesus. You see, this psalm is Jesus with the music. Like all the psalms. There are 150 psalms, this being one of them. That is intended to reveal to us Jesus This is why Paul in Colossians 3 calls the Psalms the words of Christ. Inasmuch as the Gospels describe the earthly experience of Christ, the Psalms describe the inner thoughts and feelings of Christ. And this Psalm is no different. There is a fountain of fearless living. His name is Jesus. And the sons of Korah in this Psalm direct us to him and say, Here is wisdom. Wisdom is finding Christ. Here is wisdom. Wisdom is trusting Christ. By contrast, they show us those who trust their wealth and boast in their riches. Those who use their earthly power and their earthly privilege to overpower them. They are the ones who are powerless in reality. Now the sons of Korah present to us three ways in which we can discover the wisdom of Christ and live out the riches of His wisdom. First, in verses 7 through 9, the sons of Korah teach us that Jesus can save His siblings. Jesus can save His siblings. Notice in verses 7 and 8 and 9, the sons of Korah present us with the negative experience that all of us have in life. No one can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly. It shall cease forever, that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. See, here is wisdom to know and to recognize that no matter how wealthy you become, you cannot buy your way out of the grave. In verse 7, he says clearly that you cannot purchase a pass through death for your brother. Now they say brother because in the ancient Hebrew culture, the sibling relationship was the most significant one. Doesn't that seem weird to us? Now in our culture, we would have written this, you can't get your spouse out of death. You can't get your children out of death because we love the nuclear family more. But in the ancient world, it was the sibling that was at the top of the heap. You cannot keep your loved ones from death. You cannot save your siblings. You cannot save your parents, your grandparents. 
No matter how much wealth we amass, there is not enough to redeem each other from death. No matter how much greatness on earth we achieve, there is not enough to buy ourselves back from the wrath of God. We cannot redeem each other. We cannot earn our way out of the grave. God has a price too high. Our souls are too costly. All the world's riches heaped up together cannot do it. I don't know how many billionaires there are in the world. But I do know that there are enough billionaires in the world that they cannot buy a single soul from the grave. Not one. But you know what? Jesus can. For he has a wealth of another kind. He has a power of an indestructible life. He has within him perfect, infinite, eternal righteousness which he freely gives to all who believe. You see, there is no earthly wealth that can buy your way out of death. But there is a heavenly righteousness in Christ which redeems our souls and ransoms us from the wrath of God. You see, there is no man or woman who can save his or her sibling except the God-man Jesus Christ who in His death on the cross and in the free gift of His perfect righteousness does indeed redeem His siblings, those adopted by His Father. No one of us, we can't do it. It's Christ and Christ alone. He defeats death with His gift of righteousness, redeeming our souls, ransoming us from the wrath of God. So that in verse 9, we live eternally and we do not see the pit. But secondly, Jesus not only saves his siblings, he keeps his kingdom. In verses 10 through 13, the sons of Korah observe that the wealthy of this world know that death is stalking them. And that death will make them powerless to preserve their loved ones. And so the sons of Korah observe that the wealthy take a particular strategy. They begin to build a legacy. You see, the wealthy in verse 10 see the wise men die. They see the fool and the senseless person perish. And their wealth goes to others. So then in verses 11 and 12, they institute a plan to deal with this problem. Their inner thought, their strategy comes together. I know what I'll do. I'll build up my house. It's what Tolkien called the gift of mortality to humanity. You see, I can't live forever, but you know what I can do? I can have a billion kids who have a billion kids who have a billion kids, and then my name will live forever. They say, secondly, that their dwelling places will last to all generations. I can't live forever. You know what I can do? I can build, and this is like a hypothetical, this giant mansion in North Carolina. Right? The Biltmore. And I can stick my name on the building that lasts forever. In fact, actually, nine-tenths of a mile over this way, you can find a whole bunch of really beautiful buildings with a whole bunch of dead guys' names on them. I can preserve my legacy. 
I personally can't last. But you know what? With all the worldly wealth I've accumulated, I can stick a permanent memorial on the face of the earth. Thirdly, and even better, I can rewrite the map. I can write my name onto the land itself. I I can preserve my name on the map so that all generations for all of history will know my name. By way of illustration, we have two continents that are named for one guy. North America, South America. Yeah, I'm seeing all the smirks. You guys all know him, right? That Italian dude? Amerigo Vespucci? Who disappeared into history the day after he died? He left his name on the map and nobody cares and nobody knows him. Oh, my friends, the foolishness. The foolishness of heaping up earthly honor. It amounts to nothing. The foolish, the senseless, the wise. They all die. And though we have numerous children, though we have big, beautiful buildings, though we rename the map after ourselves, verse 12, the man, though living in honor, does not remain. He goes like a beast into the ground. He dies in ignorance like an animal. It is all for nothing. This is the way of those who are foolish. This is the way of their posterity. They seek constantly to perpetuate their everlasting legacy, only to find that it vanquishes in the pages of time, in no time at all. Friends, there is no hope in amassing enough earthly wealth to beat death. It cannot be done. There is no hope in building a lasting legacy that will endure death. It cannot be done unless you're Jesus. For you see, Jesus is the counterpart. In 2 Samuel 7, God says to David, You shall have a son, and his house will last forever. In Genesis 15 and 17, God said to Abraham, You shall have a house that lasts forever. Indeed, it says in Hebrews that there is a dwelling place for God that is made without hands in the heavens, And it lasts forever. Indeed, there is a kingdom not of this world. And it lasts forever. And all the kingdoms of this world are one by one becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. This is the way of wisdom. To see that Jesus is the great one. Jesus is the one who defeated death. Such that He could save His siblings. Jesus is the one who defeated death such that his kingdom should be kept for all time. And so now the sons of Korah come to their big climax. Now we come to the crescendo. It's offset by two selahs. You guys recognize those two Hebrew words, right? They're not translated, which means for English speakers we skip them, right? Selah is a reference to the Levitical choir to tell them, Take a break. You see, as you're singing through this psalm, out is coming such a wealth of wisdom that the sons of Korah say to them, okay, now stop. Let there be silence. Let the audience process what they have heard. This is a very hard thing to do for a preacher. We like to talk. 
We'd like to fill all the available air. And what we really don't like is everyone staring at us while we're not talking. But the sons of Korah say, Selah. Slow down. Think about this for a minute. They're, like sheep, they are laid in the grave. By calling the powerful, the great, the awesome humans of this age, sheep. The sons of Korah point out their powerlessness. Do you guys remember the defense mechanism for sheep? They don't have one. They are not fast. They are not strong. They do not jump high. They do not fight back. They die. And my friends, this is what humans are before the grave. We are but sheep. Death shall feed on them. All their glory is consumed in the grave. All their majesty vanquishes. Their wealth, when they come to the edge of death, is but dust and ash. And they are devoured entirely by death. Death gnaws upon their bodies until at last they are but soil beneath the grass. Death feeds on them. Their beauty is consumed far from their dwelling. Sons of Korah say, stop, meditate on this. Nothing you wear goes with you into the grave. Nothing you build, nothing you make, it cannot go with you. The grave is all-consuming. Death is a devourer. But notice this line. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. But with the dawn of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when the new heavens and the new earth first arose on that first Sunday so many years ago, when Jesus broke out of the grave and destroyed death forever, the upright were enthroned with Him in glory. How can this be? How can we, the wicked ones of this world, who are by no means exempt from death, possibly obtain to an everlasting dominion? Will not our beauty be consumed in death? Verse 15. But God. And here, according to R.C. Sproul, we have the sweetest, most wonderful words that have ever been spoken in all of Scripture. But God. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Stop and think about this. There is nothing on this earth that can keep you from death and its ruin, but there is someone from heaven who can do so. His name is Jesus. But God has sent Christ, and he has died for your soul. He died that you might live. He perished that you might persevere. He redeems the soul from the power of the grave by breaking the grave forever. Death is now dead. This is the great crescendo. This is the great, as Tolkien called it, you catastrophe. The good catastrophe. When I die, death dies, not I. This is the great triumph of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. That He has risen from the dead and I with Him shall rise again. 
And so the sons of Korah ascend out of their Selah, out of their paws, where they have pulled together Jesus' defeated death. So be not afraid. Verse 16. Do not be afraid. When one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased, for he shall die and nothing shall go with him. His glory shall descend. He will bless himself in this life. And when you prosper, you'll be blessed. But it's all for nothing. Let me illustrate it for you briefly. There was a man who was insanely rich. He had everything he could have wanted. Including a 12-year-old daughter who was so dear to him. He loved her. He cherished her. He loved and cherished all the good things he could do for her with his wealth. And then she died. And he fled to the side of a great teacher. And he cried out, Teacher, come and heal my dying daughter. And while he was waiting for the teacher to make his way to his house, his servant came running full of tears and sorrow and said, Don't bother the teacher anymore. She's dead. All his wealth, all his power, all his earthly ambition did nothing to save his daughter. And that teacher turned to him and said, Do not be afraid. He quoted Psalm 49 verse 16. Do not be afraid. What your riches could not do, Christ's righteousness has done. What you could not possibly achieve, Christ has accomplished. Dear friends, Jesus has defeated death. They go down into the grave and they never see the light. But according to Revelation 21 and 22, we who go down in the grave hand in hand with Christ see everlasting light. And live in the light of His countenance forever. You see in verse 20, this little nugget of wisdom... A man who is in honor, yet does not understand, is like the beasts that perish. They die in ignorance. Unaware that all of their life's work was vanquished in one exhale. That all of their ambitions and dreams disappeared with one gasp of oxygen. The heart stopped beating, and it was over. Though full of honor, though full of wealth, though full of life, they had not wisdom. For they wasted it on this world instead of treasuring it with God. Have you seen death? So much of these sermons and conversations about death and the wisdom of death feels academic, doesn't it? Because so many of us in our society have outsourced death. Our nurses and our doctors see it, we don't. I remember and have experienced time and time again that death is an environment in which faith thrives. I remember the extraordinary faith of a mom who was at the viewing of her 17-year-old son 
We walked through the door and she took mine and Lydia's hands. Her cheeks were stained with tears, her eyes were red, but her voice was strong and clear and there was a radiant smile on her face. She said, come here, I want to show you something. She led us to the crowd of friends and neighbors. She led us into the back room where lay the body of her teenage son in quiet rest. She pointed excitedly at him and said to us, He's not here. He's with Jesus. My friends, this is all the difference in the world. This is the wisdom we need for today's problems. And tomorrow's sorrows. Jesus defeated death. Here is wisdom. Here is hope. Jesus defeated death. He saves his siblings. He keeps his kingdom. My friends, Jesus defeated death. He will redeem our souls from the grave. Do not be afraid. When death comes, do not be afraid. Jesus defeated death. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this wisdom from the sons of Korah. We give you thanks that by the power of your Holy Spirit, they have penned these words for us to read and to hear and to sing. And we give you thanks, our Father, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, they come alive in our hearts when we hear and sing them. We pray that you would bind them to our hearts and minds. That you would settle them into our souls. And that we would remember from day to day and week to week. That Jesus has indeed defeated death and there is therefore nothing left to fear. Indeed, Father, give us courageous hearts. To live like we know the one who has eternal life. Father, write these things upon us that we would live them faithfully to the praise of your name. For in your name we pray. Amen.